Good morning. All right. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1 again, as Janice just reminded us, and as uh, Gail and Larry were able to read for us and pray. I just, this morning, I really hope that as we walk our way through today's sermon and, and dig into God's word, that there's times when you can read passages of scripture, particularly ones that, that press us into living in the right way that God has called us to, and sometimes you can feel condemned when you read them or when you hear them. And my prayer this morning is that instead of that, you would be encouraged. Encouraged with what we talked about last week, that even as we look at a set of particular principles that are supposed to be embodied in our life and things that we have to discipline ourselves and work towards in Christ, we are encouraged by the fact that those are preceded by a promise. And the promise we looked at last week, the promise is that in God, you have been granted all that you need for life and godliness. So even as you hear today, as we read today, as we walk our way through particular lists of characteristics that God has called us to live by, some of them you might think to yourself, I don't do a very good job at that. Others you might think, wow, that one, God's really done a work in my life. No, those I, I do pretty well, or God's done those well through me. My prayer today is that you would be encouraged by the promises to live in right living the way that he's called us to. Not condemned or feel like you're beaten up. Convicted if need be, but conviction leads to walking in the spirit. So that's our hope today as we look at God's word and as we kind of press forward into Second Peter here in chapter one. We talked last week about this particular letter of Second Peter being broken into three distinct categories, each by the three chapters. So the first chapter is focused on the cultivation of Christian character. And we're still in that as we walk our way through the verses today, but this cultivation of Christian character is what it looks like to actually walk in the spirit, to know more and more what it looks like to live in the new life that God has brought you into through Jesus. The second part of this letter is talked about the condemnation of false teachers in chapter two. See, if we know how we are to walk, and if we particularly, and the focus of our, this entire letter is to know God, if we know God, we will know the counterfeits. We will know those people who are pressuring us in a different direction. We'll know things that aren't quite right because even as we look today and God through Peter gives us a list of characteristics, we'll know when somebody is talking about something that's not included there. We'll say, no, that's, that's not of God. So the second chapter really walking us through false teaching and how to stay away from it and identify it. And then thirdly, in the last chapter, one of the great promises that we have in God's word, and we're gonna talk about promises today as we go through. One of the great promises is that he's coming again. Amen? We don't live for this world, and this is not the end game. Heaven is for those who are in Christ, and Jesus is coming back. So we'll wrap up in that third chapter with the encouragement to live with the end in mind. So as we look at our verses today, we're going to focus on verse 3 through 7. And I know you might say, Pastor Rob, you did three last week. I know. It's so good. We're going to go back and do it again. So we're going to tie it to the verses that we're looking at today, okay? 
So I'm going to read verse 3. We're not going to spend a ton of time unpacking. We did that majority of that work last week. We're going to focus on 4 through 7. But verse 3 is the promise. And I want us to identify a few things here. Here's where we know Peter was a Baptist, okay? Peter did the alliteration for us. He used a bunch of words that start with the letter P. So we're just going to list those together. It kind of writes itself. And we'll walk them through. There's four of them. There's not three. So I'm not sure if he was Baptist because it would have to be a three-point sermon all in alliteration. But, but there's four today, but they do all start with the same letter. The first is this. God promises peace in verse 2. God's peace is multiplied in knowing him. He goes then into verse 3 and talks about God's power. His divine power has granted to us everything we need for life and godliness. We cannot say that promise or remember that promise too often. We need to have that ingrained in our, in our minds and in our hearts and repeated in our ears. He has granted to us by his divine power everything we need for life and godliness. And it's our job to go under that and live under that promise. And then, so peace and power. Today, we're going to focus in verse 4. He talks about his precious promises, which allow us to be partakers of his divine nature. So not only does God's divine nature, his nature, bring to us everything we need for life and godliness, he then, if that's not good enough already, he invites us into that powerful living, to be partakers of his divine nature and to live in it. So let's look at our verses today. Verse three, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So there's our thesis for this whole letter. Knowing God draws us in to the place he has called us to live with everything we need under his divine power. Verse four, by which. So anytime you see words like that, by which, you have to kind of look backward. Is it, what is he referring to? It is his divine power and the knowledge of him that takes us forward, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Precious and very great promises. This word precious here, it's referring to something that almost can't be quantified in words. That's what the word precious is. It's, it's one of those words, especially as you, as you look back through and, and if you were willing to kind of do some digging into the original kind of word there in the Greek, it's a word that basically means I'm going to use this word and also communicate to you that this word's not enough at the same time. This idea of something that's precious, something that's precious is something you almost can't even put a value on. It's just there. It's worth more than other things around it. It's worth more than you can really probably, you can't put a dollar amount on it or you could just give it a value. Precious is more than that. It's almost, in a way, can't be described. And that's what he says about his promises. His promises are so great that they are precious and very great. 
So Peter's trying to kind of take a swing at helping us understand how good the promises of God are while he's trying to use mere words and they're not quite enough. Let's think a little bit about his promises. God's word is so full of his promises. You go all the way back through, we're in the second Peter, we're kind of in the, the back end, the last quarter of the Bible here. But if you go back to the beginning and walk your way through scripture, the more you read, the more promises you incur. You just keep coming across them. He starts out in creation by promising that if we walk with him, life will be good. And he goes forward even after the fall by promising that he would send a redeemer to fix what's been broken. And that everything that goes from there all the way up until we're reading here in 2 Peter and all the way up until today is the outworking of God's great promises to us. He doesn't leave us alone to wander around in this world trying to figure out which way is up and how are we going to deal with all the difficulties. He doesn't do that. He goes with his people. He walks through those things with us. Not only that, he empowers us through his divine power to walk well with him in the midst of all difficulties. What other promises has he given us? He promised to Abraham that Abraham's descendants, and not only biological, but spiritual descendants, would be a blessing to all of the families of the world. All of the families of the world. That through Abraham's descendants and through God's people, all the world will be blessed. And he's been doing that for thousands of years. You can travel all over the globe and God's people and God's word and his presence are blessing people. So God is true to his promises. All the way back in Genesis 12, he makes that promise to Abraham. And he continues to work that through. He continues to answer and fulfill his promise. There's many other promises, but the greatest one is the promise of the Redeemer. That Jesus was going to come and crush the head of the snake and set his people free. That promise he accomplishes at the cross. And then through the resurrection, he shows us that not only did he defeat sin and Satan and death, but he has power over all things. Even death, which seems to be the most final. So God's promises, something we need to remember He's been fulfilling them for thousands of years. He's not going to miss you. He will fulfill them in your life as well. Why is that truth important? Because in a minute, we're going to read a little bit more. And some of the things that we are called to do in this life are not easy. They're not easy. But God has a promise for us as we follow him. As we follow him, we will be blessed in him. And as we follow him, he will work in us and work through us in the lives of others. And as we follow him, he will bless the nations, the families of the world through his people. So verse four, by which, by his glory and excellence, by his divine power, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them 
you may become partakers of the divine nature. What is he unpacking for us here? He's unpacking the fact that nature determines how you live. And in the old nature, you were bound by sin, and so was I. But with a new divine nature, you've been set free to live completely differently in him. This word nature that's used here, it's an interesting word. It has a lot of different outworkings as we think about the fact that nature determines where we're going. He goes on in verse four to say this, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, which reason? The reason is you're a partaker of his divine nature. So for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And I'll stop there, to supplement your faith. So let's walk back our way through how this idea of nature actually affects us. Scripture talks so often about the old nature and the new nature, the old life and the new life, the old you and the new you in Christ, and how when you come into Christ, the old has died and passed away, and the new has come and is living. Nature does a lot of things in our lives. Let's talk about some of those. First, Nature determines appetite. What do you mean by that, Pastor Rebel? Let's just think about this in the world around us. Sheep want to eat in green pastures, while pigs want to wallow around in the mud and eat slop. Why? Because one's a sheep and one's a pig. They're different. Lions want to eat meat. And dogs will even return to their own vomit. That's horrible, but Scripture talks about it. Why? Because we need to understand that what you believe about your nature will dictate how you live. If you don't know God and press into his great and very precious promises in your life, and if you don't really unpack and allow God to change your thinking about how you are new in him, you'll resort to the old things. And you'll go back to the fleshly nature. And this is the constant bombardment in the Christian life. Yes, we're delivered from the power of sin over us in Christ. Yes, we're delivered from the penalty of sin, separation from God in Jesus but we're not delivered yet from the presence of sin. That's the promise of heaven, where sin will be no more. But in the meantime, we're in a war, folks. We had some people, some guys that joined me in the back, some of our elders and some of our other leaders in this church, and they pray every Sunday morning before we come out and begin our gathering. And I turned to walk out of the room this morning and somebody in the room, I won't name him, but somebody in the room says, let's go to battle. And it caught me when I was walking, I was already turned, I was walking out the door and I thought, that's exactly what we're doing. There's more going on out here than you sitting and me talking. Thank goodness, right? You're all like, ooh, good. There's more going on out here 
than some musicians playing music and all of us following along. There's more happening in this room or in another room if you're watching when the people of God enter into battle. And we need to understand that when we come to God's word and we start talking about his promises and we start talking about this new nature with which he's given us, it is a war. You're in a fight for your life. And if you don't understand how to wake up and fight every morning, you will lose. Thank God for his goodness that he has secured the victory on our behalf. But in the meantime, don't sit back and think there's nothing to do. We are called to live in light of what we know. We know he's secured the victory. We know he's set us free. We know he's brought us from death to life. So live like it. Wake up every day and be different because you are a partaker of his divine nature. He's granted this promise to us that we may become partakers of the divine nature. Nature determines appetite. What else does nature determine? Behavior. Eagles fly, fish swim, and cheetahs run. They don't get those things mixed up. Have you ever noticed that? Their nature determines how they behave. What else does nature determine? It determines environment. Birds live in a nest. Bears find a cave. While a cow would rather find a tree in the middle of a huge pasture and lay down under it. Why? Because that's who they are. Nature also determines community. Sheep stay with a flock. Fish travel in schools in the water. And wolves run in a pack. See, this idea of nature is more than us just thinking, okay, I'm different in Christ. We have to put teeth to that. Here's how this divine nature changes our appetites, our behaviors, our environments, and our community. Because we have his divine nature granted to us in Jesus, we should have an appetite for what is pure and holy. We should crave the things of God. So we have the Holy Spirit residing in us. We have him empowering us to live under this new nature. We have him who's drawn us from death into life, and then we're called to live in that. One of the things that should be there is new desires and appetites and cravings in this world. So what does that look like for the believer? It looks like the list of things we're going to read in a moment, amongst other things in Scripture. But we have to go to God and ask him, what does it look like to have holy desires? What does it look like to have pure desires? The old nature was sinful, and the desires were evil. And here's the unique thing about living in this world. You don't have to learn how to follow the old flesh. 
It's just there. Nobody teaches a little child to disobey. Well, I hope not. But if you just don't teach them anything, they will show you their sinful flesh. See, to do the evil desires of the world, to do what Satan is trying to get you to do, that all comes really naturally. Especially before you're in Christ. But that nature is different for those who are in Christ. We go from desiring the things of the flesh in the world to desiring the things of God. It would be weird to watch a sheep try to kill something and eat meat. That's a lion's job. Sheep don't do that. That's a lot like a Christian living in the flesh. It doesn't make any sense. It looks completely out of place. And in God's economy, the new nature and life that he's brought us into, it's literally wrong. It's backward. It's unnatural. Instead, for those who are in Christ, the natural desires should be the the nature of God and his divine calling in our lives. How does that work? You might say, uh, I don't know, Pastor, I, I, I have a really easy time making the wrong decisions. I, I know. I'm human too. But this is what it looks like for the Christian to actually discipline ourselves to look more and more like God. To grow the sanctification process, the change process to be made more and more like him. So his divine nature brings us desires which are pure and holy. His divine nature also changes our behaviors. We should behave in the likeness of Jesus. What does that look like? I want to read you a few verses out of Galatians chapter 5. They say this in verse 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, those may be familiar verses to you, but that is literally living in the likeness of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how our lives should be characterized. So his divine nature changes our appetite and our cravings. It changes our behaviors to look more like him. It also changes our environment. How does it change our environment? See, for those who don't know Christ and are walking in the flesh and have not been redeemed yet in him, this environment here is an odd place. It's different. It, does, it won't always make sense. And that's a good thing because what it does to the world around us is as the church and the people of God live as the people of God, the people of the world look and say, that's better than what we have. That's attractive to us. Because one of the promises of God's word and of all of history is that he has created every single individual that's ever been alive on the face of this earth to want this. 
right here. To want him. To be fulfilled in him. To be made new in him. To be around others who actually are moving forward in him. That's the church. So it changes our environment. Your environment needs to be suited for your nature. And the environment of a believer, someone who is following Christ in discipleship, the environment is to be part of his church, both gathered and scattered. That's why it's so important. This is in my notes, but I'm going to take a minute. That's why it's so important that you're here. See, too often we we regard the things of God as kind of secondary or we hope that we'll grow in Christ, but we don't do the things he's called us to do in order to grow. Being with the church, the gathered saints together, singing about God's character and his goodness, praying together, being prayed over, being instructed in the word of God, these are all things that God has said, this is what Christians do. When you don't do those things, it makes it a lot harder, folks. This is why it's important to be with the family of God. Your environment, your spiritual environment changes when you come into Christ. You are saved out of sin, but you are saved into the people of God, into his family. And you have to be around the family of God if you're going to live like the family of God. This isn't me trying to browbeat everybody to show up every Sunday morning, okay? Although it's not a bad idea. But this is me actually as a pastor saying to you, and I would say it to each of you individually if I had the opportunity. Being with the church is part of your divine nature. It's important. Don't neglect it. This is why this whole pandemic we've been stuck in the middle of has been so hard for the church. When there's extended amounts of time where you're not allowed to be together or, or there's obstacles put in the way of that, that is not good for your spiritual growth. So instead of gathering with the church being some sort of chore that we have to check off every Sunday morning, allow it to be a great blessing in your life and a fulfillment of God's promise. His promise is that we are made new because I doubt hardly any of us would be gathered together in a room without him. So allow it to be a blessing and an encouragement in your life. Our spiritual environments change when our nature changes. Third, fourth actually, nature determines your community. Just as we talked about these animals that stick together in their own groups and packs. The divine nature of God allows us to be in community with him and with each other in a way that we never could before. Those that are seeking to grow in Christ and be part of his mission are the people that you need to be doing everyday life with. 
So I'm gonna challenge us a little bit right now. If you only connect, talk to, bump into, or see the other Christians in the room here on Sunday morning, there's more to it than that. There's more to it that God's given you than that. And it's not, it's not a task list to be done. It's a blessing to be involved in. Be around the people of God regularly, as often as you could be. The heart of one who is living in the new nature in Christ should be one that they're looking forward to the next time they get to be around some Christians. Because it's almost like triage and re-energizing and then you go back out into the world. Because everything out there is what? It's a battle. You're in a fight. So getting together with your comrades is great. You get to let your guard down. You get to relax a little bit. You get to encourage each other. You get to talk about what's been hard out there. You get to confess and repent of sin in a place where people also all know that they need to confess and repent of sin. So you get to go to the grace of God together. This is the people of God. We should long for this stuff, folks. There's nothing that Satan would like more than for you to think that you can grow in Christ by showing up for an hour on Sunday morning and not doing anything else. Because you won't actually grow in Christ the way that he has designed you to. So God changes our desires, he changes our behaviors, he changes our environment, and he changes our community and the new nature. And those are just four things he changes. He changes a lot of other stuff too. But we can live in this new, this new nature because of what he has done for us through Christ. Look at verse five for me. For this very reason, what's the reason? The fact that we are receivers of his promises and partakers of his divine nature. Verse five, for this very reason, if you do underline in your Bible or take notes, underline those words. For this very reason. Because the list that comes after this, sometimes you can get caught up in a list in a way that's unhealthy. But the list is because of what God has done. The list is not because of what we're going to try to do. The characteristics of godly living are because he has already done what we needed done and set us free to live in these things. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. As we look at this list, there's eight things included here. It starts with faith. Faith is the baseline. We've talked about this earlier, even in this chapter, but a lot in 1 Peter as well. Faith is the baseline of the Christian life. You don't enter into the Christian life, you don't enter into the family of God without it. Faith is what makes you new by his grace. Once you have enacted that faith, then there are things that you should be committing yourself to going forward. This word supplement that we see here. A supplement is an interesting thing in life. 
Even if you're just like a health nut and you think about supplements that you're taking in order to be healthier, the supplement is not what keeps you living, right? The supplements are the things that help you to live better. There's baseline things that you need in order to actually be alive. Air, water, food. Those are the baselines. The supplements that we add in are the things that actually allow us to function at a higher level in our physical bodies. This is the same spiritually here. Faith is what brings you life in Christ. Through his great promise of grace, in his forgiveness of sin on the cross, in his victorious resurrection, your faith in him gives you new life. The list that follows doesn't give you new life. That's faith. The list that follows comes because you have the new life that comes from faith. So supplement your faith. Okay, it doesn't say get your faith by doing these things. It says supplement your faith by living in these ways, which will make you healthier spiritually. They will help you be the person God's called you to be. Seven disciplines in order to be healthy and thriving spiritually that supplement our faith. The first is virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is not a word that we use very regularly. At least I don't use it very regularly. But virtue is this idea of excellence. So in the Christian life, one of the things that should be a character of the way that you live, characteristic, and something that people around you see regularly is that you do things with excellence. You seek to allow the world around you to see what God has already done inside you. He's made you new. You have been made perfect in Jesus, not in yourself, perfect in Christ. We have been given his righteousness. And God wants the world around us to see that. Virtue, excellence. What does it look like to live a life that reflects the nature of God? He's the epitome of excellence. So how do we discipline ourselves to look more and more like him? How do we do that? We go on. We supplement our virtue with knowledge. The word here, there's a few different words in the ancient languages for this this idea of knowledge. This particular word is one that is characteristic of what we call full knowledge. Okay? So there's this implication that it's a full knowledge and it's growing because a full knowledge continues to grow. So this knowledge that's talked about here, your faith gives you new life, a new nature. You supplement that by being virtuous, excellent. You go in by growing in your knowledge of him consistently. And then you supplement your knowledge because as you know more and more about God, guess what you're going to have to have? Self-control. Self-control, the opposite of how anyone without Christ lives. Because without Christ, you just go towards your own old nature and you grab whatever you can and you follow whatever desire comes up. In Christ, we're to supplement our faith with virtue, our virtue with knowledge, and our knowledge with self-control. What does this literally mean? This means you don't do everything you think of. You measure what you think of and you compare it to godly living. 
Self-control sets aside your own desires for the good of others. Self-control sets aside your own desires for the good of the gospel. Two spots in Proverbs talks about this. Self-control will keep you from being angry. Proverbs 16 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit, that's the same concept as self-control. He that ruleth his spirit, instead of his spirit ruling you, instead of your nature ruling you, you rule your flesh. He is greater than he that taketh a city. Proverbs 16 says. Proverbs 25 says, he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Easily attacked, easily defeated. Self-control. Self-control is related to how you handle life, life's pleasures. Do you indulge in everything? Or do you have self-control that comes from the Holy Spirit? The next one, steadfastness. We supplement our self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness is how you handle life's pressures. Self-control is how you handle life's pleasures. And steadfastness is how you handle life's pressures. When things get hard, do you stick with what God's called you to do or do you falter? Christians should be known for not giving up. Don't give up. Think about the 12 disciples. So often I hear believers say to me, ah, you know, people that are struggling in their faith or maybe have even walked away from the, the Lord or walked away from the church. And I talk with them and they say, well, you know what? This Christian, I saw this Christian do this thing. And it just totally turned me off to Christianity. Imagine if the other 11 disciples did that when Judas betrayed Jesus. Other Christians being perfect has nothing to do with how you follow God. Jesus is perfect. Not other people. Don't allow people's actions and the trials and pressures that come along with them to push you away from God. They should put you, push you towards him. That's steadfastness. They're broken people in God's family that are going to affect you. Yeah, there are. It won't take you long to follow them or to find them. Don't follow them. It won't take you long to find them. But the fact that it's difficult to follow Jesus in this broken world should be supplemented by our steadfastness in our new nature. Without Christ, we'd probably all give up. With Christ, we endure. Supplement that with godliness. Literally, this word is to worship him well. Worship him. Worship God. The way he's called you to. With reverence, with respect, with awe in all that he's done. This godliness is to worship well, the ability to do what's right because he's done it before you and called you to it. And supplement all of these with brotherly affection and love. These are two different words in the Greek. The first brotherly affection is phileo. That's brotherly love, phileo. The kind of love that's because you're like each other in Christ. We have similarities in Christ. So these are the two different words here, phileo, and the next one is agape. Agape love is sacrificial love. So here's the difference between the two. 
The brotherly affection, phileo love, is you love the other Christians because you're like them in Christ. The agape love is you love them in spite of the fact that you're also different. So you're made in some ways to be similar in Christ, but in some ways we're still different and that sacrificial love comes into play. So it's full circle on how we should love each other. Because we're like each other and the people that you are similar to and because we're all in Christ, you should love each other then. And when you're different and those people drive you crazy, that's sacrificial love and you still love them. So there's no out here on how God's called us to be with each other. This is kind of similar like every child bears resemblance to their parents, but it's also different. You see the resemblance, but there's also uniqueness. And we should love both, the similarities and the differences. This verse closes with this challenge to love because it's the hardest one. To love the way that Christ has loved us, sacrificially, steadfastly. It'll get played out with the way that you worship, the way that you stick to things and are steadfast, the way that you exercise self-control through the Spirit, the knowledge that you have of God to be everything he's given you and also growing as you go, growing in your knowledge with him, and that we seek to do all in the Christian life with virtue and excellence. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus well. In the Christian life, we're going to talk about this as we go forward, there is a rule, and it's the rule is the same as it is in this world biologically and in nature that we look at around us. What you feed will thrive, and what you starve will die. That is the reality in our spiritual lives and nature. If you feed your new nature with God's word, with prayer, with the family of God and the community he's given you, if you feed it that way, it will thrive. If you starve your flesh, it'll die. It'll die slowly and more every day. But if you feed your flesh and you exercise in life the things that God has told you to walk away from and the things that he's redeemed you out of, but if you go back and feed those things, guess what? They will be alive and well in your life and they will plague you. But if you starve them and feed the things of the Lord, your spiritual life will thrive. And your walk with him will be joyous. So as we pray, and as we close our time in God's word, we always move towards a time of response. And today I want, to, I want us to focus on two responses particularly. First, if you're listening, whether you're listening here in the room or online or in some other way, and you are honestly questioning if you have a new nature, I would encourage you to stop and ask the Lord to give you the nature that comes with knowing Jesus and exercising your faith in him. If you haven't surrendered completely to God and the faith that is the baseline of the Christian life, so often I think we don't even honestly ask ourselves that question. Have we followed in faith? And if we have, God will confirm that and identify that in your life and your life will grow and look differently. 
But maybe there's some listening that haven't even taken that baseline step of faith yet. I'd encourage you in a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a few words that you can use to exercise faith in Christ, if that's what God is calling you to today. Secondly, maybe you've followed Jesus in faith, but you've been trying to grow it on your own. And growing without surrendering is a useless effort. So maybe today you have exercised your faith in Christ and you are made new in him, but you've just been working under your own power. Today I'd ask you to surrender and give it to him. Take this time as we pray now and respond. If you haven't placed your faith in him, I'd encourage you to respond and repent of your sins and follow Jesus right now. If you have done that, I'd encourage you to repent of your current sin and follow him again. Walking in the spirit, letting your life look like the new nature he has granted to you. And I'm convinced as we as God's people live in the life, this new nature that he's given us, the world will continue to be amazed that people like us exist. Because the love and the life that we bring to the world around us will bring glory to his name and will be attractive to everybody you bump into.